Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. So I want to share with you, and I have two titles, and so I'm going to give you both titles, and we'll see which one looks appropriate by the time we get done. But uh, title number one is Honoring Fulfilled Prophecies. And then the other one, and it goes along with it, is Developing a Culture of Gratefulness. When I was... Uh, probably about, I'll say maybe 10 years ago, I got to a point to where, well, maybe even a little longer than that, but I got to a point to where I began to despise prophecy. And I wouldn't have used that phrase unless the Lord had corrected me with that phrase. About five years ago, I was reading in Thessalonians and it says, do not despise prophecies. And when I read that, the Lord said, you do that. And I said, well, Lord, I don't want to despise prophecies because I know prophecy is from, is from you. They can be from you. Some prophecies aren't from the Lord, but that's another thing for another time. But God certainly sends prophets and prophetic people, and he prophesies through them. And we are, we are a prophetic people. As a matter of fact, everybody's supposed to be prophetic because the idea of being prophetic is, is taking what God says and looking into the future with it. Well, everybody's supposed to do that. So everybody's prophetic or should be prophetic on, on some level. And so I had gotten to a point where I, I had despised prophecies and I really didn't recognize it again until the Lord pointed it out in my own life, my own heart. And I realized one of the reasons, there were different reasons why, but one of the reasons is that I was involved in a, in a group of people that there were a lot of prophecy publicly, there was a lot of prophecy that was going forth. And after uh, weeks and weeks and months of hearing all of these prophecies about this is going to happen and that's going to happen and all of these things nationally and locally and in our church and with this person, I, I never heard report of hardly any of those prophecies coming to pass. And so I just came to a point to where I was like, well, I really don't want to hear about what's going to happen if we're not ever going to hear what happened. And my thinking on it was right. Now, I took it too far to the point to where I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with prophecy, or, or I at least was at arm's length with it. And so, but my thinking was actually correct that if we're going to prophesy about something and we're saying this is the word of the Lord and this is going to come to pass, when that thing comes to pass, we should be able to recognize, hey, God fulfilled his promise here. Look at what he did. And so I realized that in a lot of prophetic circles that there, there's a, a culture of let's prophesy, but the culture of honoring those prophecies that the Lord has fulfilled, that has not been there in a lot of circles. And so as the Lord was just, just bringing me back and, and reminding me of some things, he said, I want this to be a part of your church. See, we are a prophetic church and we prophesy. We have prophets in this church and we have just prophetic people in this church and we have that, that operates here. But if we ever get to a point to where we're always looking forward and we never go back and look at what God has done, what he accomplished and the, the faithfulness of God in our life, it's, it's really going to limit us to believe him for what he wants to do in the future. And the Lord gave me this. It says that um, faith for our future is quickened by proper perspective of God's past faithfulness. Let me say that again. Faith for our future is quickened by proper perspective of God's past faithfulness. And I would even go so far to say is that not only is it, the, is it um, proper perspective will quicken our faith, but we we run the risk of losing generations if we don't do this. And I'll go so far as to say that we have lost generations because we haven't done this. 
because we haven't looked back at God's faithfulness and developed a, see, it's not just about just doing something, but it's about, it's about developing culture. And hopefully I'll get into more of that in a, in a moment, but we need to have a culture to where it's a part of us, to where we not only prophesy and say, God says this and his word says this, because see, prophecy is, it's about hearing what the spirit is saying and releasing, but it's also just about taking God's word, what he reveals to us in the written word, declaring it. And then when that thing comes to pass, we need to go back and say, look what God did. Look at the thing that he fulfilled. And there needs to be, if we're going to have expectancy for him doing it in the future, we need to recognize now that we're standing right now in the place of fulfilled prophecy. And I'm going to get to some of those things here in just a moment. I want to show you this from Judges chapter 2. Turn to Judges chapter 2, and I believe we can pull this up on the screen. So I want everybody to see this. This is so powerful. Judges chapter 2. And this is an amazing passage of scripture. And we're going to start here in verse 7. So Judges 2 and 7. And this is just right as, as uh, Joshua had passed away. And Joshua was uh, Moses', Moses uh, predecessor. And he is the one that ultimately, ultimately led the children into the promised land. So this was the death of Joshua here. And in verse 7, it says, So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Notice it says they, they had seen all the great works of, of the Lord, which he, the Lord, had done for Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. Verse 9, and they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Hares, sure, in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. Now listen here in verse 10. It says, when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. So here you have all of these generations that were there. And in verse 7, it says that they did know and they had seen all the great works that the Lord had done. And then in verse 10, it says another generation arose and they did not know. They did not know all the work that he had done for Israel. And then look at verse 11. It says, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Can I throw this out? I can and I will. The reason our generations, the depravity, the immorality, the confusion, the deception that we see our world living in right now, it's not because the world is evil. It's because the church has not done its part to recognize the goodness of God, the works that he has done, and the person that he is. This was written for us to see so that we could glean the wisdom that was being laid out here. And you see, you immediately see, they didn't know the works that had been done. Then they began to do evil on the side of the Lord. See, I look at people, especially younger, a little bit younger than me, millennials, I'm an old millennial, but millennials and the generation, Generation Z coming up underneath of me, and I look at them and I think, my God, has enemies sucked the brains out of you? I mean, I mean, aliens suck the brains out of you. I mean, it is the enemy. That's what I think. It's like you've been abducted and then something major has happened to you. Why are you thinking like you're thinking? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? I mean, when you look at the, you just watch the news and you look at the foolishness that's going on. 
It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then they're, they're going as far as to call the evil things that they're doing good. How is it, how is it possible? How is it even possible that we have a generation that I'm talking about, especially the younger ones, that is quicker to celebrate the rainbow flag, which we need to steal that sucker back. That belongs to us. Anyways, for what it stands for for them, how is it that they're quicker to celebrate that than they are the country that gave them the freedom to celebrate that? Because, see, I'm, I'm of the opinion that if people want to live that lifestyle, that's between them and the Lord. I certainly don't believe it's right. I know it's not right because the Lord teaches us that. But it's not just that they're doing wrong. They're celebrating it. They're open about it. How is it that they've, they've been removed so far from truth? I believe that the older generations in the church, I'm including myself in that, the older generations have, have done this very thing that they did back then, which caused the younger generations to act out in evil. Because see, the, the younger people, they don't see God as relevant. There's been statistics taken. They don't see God as relevant. This is why, this is why I'm so hard on churches that have become seeker-friendly, and they're so concerned about dotting all of their I's and crossing all of their T's, and they won't just invite the presence of God and preach the word. They're trying to do all of these things to make people feel comfortable, and all the while, you've got this younger generation that's like, yeah, cool, another hangout spot. They got some cool music, and they got a guy that's dressed real hip with skinny jeans, who probably, if he's older, probably should not be dressed in skinny jeans. I saw a picture of a, of, a, of a chicken, and it had little bitty legs, and it had a big old belly, and it said, this is what a 50-year-old man looks like in skinny jeans, and I thought, that's, that's exactly right. So I get really, I get really hard on, on that group of people that do that, because you've got this younger generation in the church and out of the church that are living completely like the rest of the world with no consciousness of what's right and wrong. Why? Because the older people are so concerned about getting the younger people in and keeping them by some method that they've come up with, and they've failed to give them the most important thing, which is the presence of God. And if you go back and read, and I'm probably going to get to this next week, but if you go back and read the beginning of Joshua, when they crossed over the Jordan, the thing that they carried with them, the priests were the ones who put their foot into the water. And what did the priests have on their shoulders? They had the presence of God. If we are going to take this generation from where we're at to where we need to be, we have to make the presence of God become the most important thing again. Not the lights, not the music, not the whatever else we would want to throw in there. It has to be the presence of God. You say, what's the key for growing a church? Well, what do you want your church to look like? Do you want your church to look like a bunch of people that come in and sing songs? Or do you want your church to look like a bunch of people that come in and they bow down and they worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, encounter him, have a life-altering experience? Because if you want the former, then you got to get involved with programs. You have to have your service just so long. I'm so glad I pushed through in Jesus' name for all those years. All those years people told me, quit going so long. Quit going so long. Don't let the worship go so long. Quit preaching so long. And something in me said, by God, I'm going to go 15 minutes longer. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever got clapped for going longer or even talking about it. And it's not about the length of service, but it's about not cutting off what God wants to do. And, and there's practical things, you know, for us. We've got, we've got kids over there. At some point, you've got to go get the kids and relieve. So there's practical things to it. But let's not shut off what God wants. 
Let's do what God wants. Let's have him involved with, with what we're doing. Because if he's not involved, I don't want to have any part of it. You know, there's a verse in the, the Old Covenant where, where they, the Ark of the Covenant at one point had been removed from the temple or from the tabernacle. And it said that the priest were there and they were doing all of their priestly duties. And there was the brazen altar where, where, they, uh, where they sacrificed things and there was smoke coming up and you could see the smoke coming from afar. But when you got close, and if you would have gone into the Holy of Holies, the reality is that the presence of God was not there. I don't want to have doors open to sign up, people come in and the presence of God not be involved with what we're doing. I don't want that. In fact, we won't have that. That's one of the benefits about leading is you could just lead however God says to lead. Amen. And we've, we've, I've had people say for years, oh, if you do this and you do this, more people will come. You know what we've got here? We've got a healthy number of people that are full of spiritual health because we haven't bowed down to all the ways of society and culture and things. And I'm not against doing things that will help, help draw people in or whatever, but I'm never going to do it at the expense of what the Spirit of God wants. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know where and how I got off on all of that. So you have the, the children that they were doing these evil things. And it says that they did not know the works of the Lord. I want to show you something really powerful. Go back with me to the beginning of Joshua, towards the beginning. In Joshua chapter 4. There's so much I could say leading up to this, but I'm going to cut in for time's sake. Joshua chapter 4. And what had happened is that the children had just crossed over the Jordan. So very similar to when they crossed over the Red Sea, God parted the waters for Moses. They crossed over the Jordan. God parted the waters at the Jordan River for Joshua and the children at this point. And in Joshua chapter 4, it says, Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take, a, take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be forever a memorial to the children of Israel forever. At verse 8, And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged. And laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where, their feet, where the feet of the priest who bore the ark of the covenant stood. And they are there to this day, which is speaking of the day that this was written years later. I want you to jump down to verse 19. It says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until 
you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord that is in, that, that is it, that it is mighty, excuse me, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So here he had him do it. He said, I'm telling you why I want you to do it. So you pull these, these stones out of the midst. Listen now, you get your testimony from the midst of your trial. When you face something, see, God's not the one authoring your trial. People that say that are just, they don't know anything. God's not authoring your trial. He's on your side. But the reality is, is that trials come to you. What are you going to do with your trial? And if you have a proper perspective, you can be in the midst of it and you pull out the testimony of God's goodness. You carry it to the other side. That's perspective. You pulling out a testimony before you get to the other side and you make an altar there. You make something there that you can go back and look and see what God did for you. He told them to do this. He told them why he wanted them to do it. Then after they had crossed over, he went back and referenced it again and said, look, the stones that you have here, they're there so that in years to come and generations to come, when they say, Daddy, what are those stones for? You can say, oh, son, let me tell you about this. We had this time when we had an impossible situation, an impassable situation, but God supernaturally provided for us, and he parted the waters, and we crossed over on the other side, and he not only parted the waters, we didn't even have to walk through mud. He made the, 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 the ground underneath of it totally dry, and we crossed over. All of us crossed over. God protected all of us. He provided for all of us. And that's what these 12 stones are a reminder to us of the goodness of God, the greatness of God, and the works that God did for us. He said all of those things right there. And then you fast forward. And let me read this verse to you too. In Joshua chapter 21 and verse 45, it says, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. God fulfilled every single prophecy that he said that he was going to fulfill according to this, every single thing. And what happened? Roughly, from what I can see, 30, 40, 50 years-ish, somewhere in there, from the time Joshua led them across the Jordan until his death, just in that time period right there, they went from knowing, understanding, experiencing the goodness of God, the works of the Lord, his mighty hand at work in their life, to completely denying him and starting to serve other gods. Why? It's because the previous generations did not develop a culture of going back and reminding of the goodness of God. They didn't go back and talk about how it was the presence of God that led them from one side to the next. See, we have, a, we have a, a churched generation. And everybody in here, you know churches. And listen, please, I love the church. I love the church of the Lord Jesus. I'm not being hard. I'm just being honest. Everybody in here knows churches, and we know people in those churches who are completely, they're, they're what we call seeker-friendly. They're all about setting things up to appeal to just to people's flesh. But when it comes down to it, it was the presence of God. It was the anointing of God. It was the Holy Ghost. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think, I think that people get, they almost get embarrassed talking about things because people don't understand where they're coming from. It doesn't matter if people understand where you're coming from or not. You and I have a responsibility to declare the goodness of God, the works of God. 
the presence of God? What was the thing that caused you to go from not having a relationship with Jesus to having a relationship with Jesus? Nobody comes to, to him lest the Spirit draw him. It's the Holy Ghost that draws people into relationship with the Lord. Why, why are we so, sometimes we're so backwards about telling people it's the presence of God, it's the Spirit of God, it's the anointing of God, it's the, all of those things. And you know what, if we don't do that, the generations to come, and we're seeing it now, they're going to look at us and say, what you have and what you believe and your religion has no value in my life at all. It's completely irrelevant. Because the younger generations aren't looking for a concert. They can go to the Savas Center or the whatever that place is called now where the blues play. Go blues. <laughs> they can go there to get entertainment. We have these phones that have, it's, you can have virtual entertainment any time of the day. You can watch anything you want, which is not good, but there's all kinds of things on there that you can see to be entertained. Where are they going to be with people who know and declare the works of the Lord unless we do it? We have to be the ones to take up our mantle. So the question, the question begs, why have we failed to honor these fulfilled prophecies? Why have, why have we failed to do that? And I, my answer is twofold. Number one is just ungratefulness. People have just become ungrateful. Our culture is ungrateful. The Apostle Paul said that in the last days that people will be unthankful, unholy. Thankfulness is really the outward expression of a grateful heart. We've taught people manners without teaching them to have a sincerity about the manners that they're saying. Say thank you when someone gives you something. We teach them to say thank you, but we teach them to really have gratefulness in their heart for the thing that the sacrifice the person made to give them something. There's a difference between thankfulness and gratefulness. So we need to have a culture of gratefulness. And so we've had a culture of ungratefulness. We've not been thankful. We've not been, we've not been grateful. And so we get an immediate vision. I hope that's the wrong thing. So prosperity, this is what I was going to say. I read the wrong line. Prosperity, here's three Ps for you. And this goes into being ungrateful. Part of the reason why we haven't developed a culture of honoring fulfilled prophecy. And this is the three Ps. Prosperity without perspective brings problems. Prosperity without perspective brings problems. You know that prosperity has destroyed more people than poverty ever will? Now, I'm not talking about physical lives because when people are in physical prosperity, they die early and, you know, whatever. But I'm talking about their faith. See, whenever Jesus talked about the parable of the sower and they would go out and they, the picture was is that a guy would go out and he would throw seed out and it would fall in different kinds of soil. One of the kinds of soil was a soil that had other things involved in it. And when the seed would take root and grow up, the other things around it would choke the life of that seed out. And one of those things is the deceitfulness of riches. And when people come into prosperity in their life, they often get focused on what God has given them. And many times it is God-given. What God has given them, they take their eyes off of the giver and they start looking at the gift. And this is where we see the deceitfulness of riches. I would beg that the children of Israel, I would say that the children of Israel did the exact same thing. 
They were in a place of desperation. They were in a place of the desert. They cried out to the Lord. Joshua led them into that. And then they got over to the other side. They fought the battles. They came into the land of promise. And then they started looking at the prosperity that they had instead of looking at the one who gave them the prosperity. I'm all for prosperity, but we have to give glory where glory is due. Otherwise, we develop an attitude of ungratefulness. Do we not see this in our generation today? We see people that would spit on the flag. They would, they would burn the flag. They'll do all the kinds of things. And I'm not trying to get political on you, but I'm trying to give you a reason why it's happening. We haven't been grateful enough for the things that God has given us and the generations underneath of us are suffering. It says this in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. This verse is famous and we usually hear it quoted, where there is no vision, the people perish. The New King James Version says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no revelation, perspective, looking forward or looking backward. Because forward vision will keep you on track, right? If you're looking towards what God has for you, but looking in the past in a proper way will give you faith because you see God's faithfulness for what he has in the future. So if we don't have proper perspective or revelation, the people, we, the people will cast off restraint, which means we'll just go this way, that way, or the other. That's what we see with the generations coming up underneath of us. Churched or unchurched, they're not restrained. They have no restraint to them. I can do anything. I can say anything. I can be anything that I want to be. Even gone as far as I don't want to be a male anymore, I want to be a female. I don't want to be a female anymore, I want to be a male. As a matter of fact, I don't want to be male or female. I'm going to be one of the other 300 different uh, genders that are now listed when indeed there's only two because that's what God created. There is no restraint to what's happening in our society. Why? Because we have shunned to declare the goodness of God. We have not talked about his mighty works. It hasn't been alive in our life. And I would also say that we have not honored the presence of God like we really need to. And look, I'm not trying to come down on anybody. This is amazing church. You're amazing people. But if we don't take this to heart and realize, okay, we have missed it as a whole and we have to move forward with this, what hope is there? I was telling Liz last night or this morning, I forgot what it was, but I was telling her, I said, you know, when I preach messages like this, I feel like I should be preaching it to thousands. I feel like I should be preaching this to millions, thousands, hundreds, thousands, millions of people. I feel like I should be preaching this to pastors all over America. Do your job. Stand up for truth. Tell people the truth. Tell them about God's goodness in the past. We got pastors that are afraid to talk about how our country was founded. It was founded on the gospel. It was founded on the word of God. Our laws were written and taken straight from Levitical laws and brought right into our modern, what we call modern day laws that are written and preachers are afraid to talk about it. What hope is there in the future? So I always feel like this needs to go out to a bunch, but I think, Lord, if all I can do is preach and teach and reveal truth to the ones that I have, I'm gonna be faithful. And I'm gonna pray that every pastor across America grows up, develops a backbone, and starts saying the things that need to be said. We need to talk about God's goodness. We need to talk about God's goodness in our family. We need to talk about God's goodness, his greatness, his hand in our, in our own personal lives and what he's done in revivals in times past. You want to get stirred up for what God's going to do in the future in the church? Go and look at revival 
And you know, the thing is, is that the glory of the latter house is greater than the glory of the former. We've had two great awakenings in this country, and I'm telling you, we are on the verge of another great awakening that is going to, it's going to make it look like they were running a popsicle stand back in those days. I'm telling you, it's powerful stuff, mighty stuff that God's going to do. We need to talk about God's goodness in every area. We need to talk about what God's done in our government. We need to talk about how, how awesome our military is. We need to talk about how awesome our president is. And if you don't think he's awesome, you're just mad because you didn't think he was awesome just like I did when he was the primaries. And I said, I don't think he's going to be a good president, but then he proved me and so many other people wrong. Well, you know what? You just need to eat crow, acknowledge what God's doing, acknowledge the hand of God on that man. I don't care about his past. All right, listen, is the church not a place of forgiveness? I hear so many people say, well, he was with a bunch of women and he was a whoremonger and, and he did bad business deals. I don't give a rip. He's doing what so many other Christians don't, don't have the, the gumption to be able to do. And so God had to call somebody up basically out of the world and set, set them in the place that the Christians are supposed to be in. We're supposed to be occupying that. And, and by the way, the faithfulness of God, the man has been born again. No doubt, there's been plenty of things that have proven that out. I believe he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit, probably prays in tongues, has an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus, and we still have Christians that are knocking him. If you want to knock him, you're a fool. Look at the hand of God on him. Okay, I'm really meddling now. I need to stop. It's, it's, see, it's not, about, it's, not about, it's not about politics. The politicians, it is about God. It's about righteousness. The politicians have made you believe it's a Democrat-Republican thing. Let me just say that those are two birds, two wings of the same bird. I mean, I, I lean more towards one way than the other. Look, if you're going to go and vote, get informed. You can't vote for people that believe it's okay to kill babies. You have a responsibility as a Christian, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, to go to the, the ballot box and vote for the platform that's going to support life all the way from conception, all the way to birth, and even after, because you realize the Democrats, listen to me, you realize the Democrat Party, you realize, if you listen, they are now saying it's okay to have abortions all the way, all the way, full term, and some of them are saying even after the baby comes out, if that baby's not wanted, you can still go ahead and kill him. It's not about Republican and Democrat, it's about evil being put into a political system and one particular party has taken the evil and they are running full-fledged with it. Go to the voting booth. Vote right. Vote righteousness. See what God's doing. Declare what God's doing. You know, our kids here all the time, and I see, I, I'm, a, I'm a humble person. And, <laughs> hey, listen, Moses said, he was the one that said that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. He wrote that. And is the Bible not true? Yes. Moses was humble. I am humble because I'll admit when I'm wrong. And I can remember saying, man, I don't think Trump is going to be a good president. I don't know about that. But by the time the general election came, came along, I saw what God was doing. And I remember talking to my boys, you know what? Your daddy was wrong. The hand of God is on this man. And you know what they hear? They hear nothing but blessing from us about President Trump and about other political figures. Well, we're still working on other political figures that we don't like so much that are really evil. Listen, there's evil that just needs to be cut off in our land. I'm praying for some of them. If they don't get born, I'm praying for them to get born again either way, but they just need to go to prison.
All right, I'm going to move on. I didn't mean to stay there so long, but you know what? I don't really mind. And if you don't like it, then you're either you need to change or go to a different church where they don't preach the truth. I don't know what to tell you. You, you understand that you, the, the Black Robe Regiment, I've mentioned this to you guys before, the Black Robe Regiment, they were the ones who were responsible for the rebellion of the colonies that stood up against all the atrocities that England was putting on them. Amen. And that, that rule that they were living underneath of, the ones that were responsible for them rising up and doing what God said was called the Black Robe Regiment. You know what the Black Robe Regiment was? It was a group of ministers, pastors of local congregations that stood up and said, we will not live underneath of tyranny anymore. God's called us a free people. We're going to possess the land, and we are going to be separate from underneath of that rule, and we're going to be able to serve God and have freedom for every single person. And we no longer are going to acknowledge the government as our God, but God is our God. And he's given us certain rights that we have as human beings that we're not going to live underneath of anyone else's thumb anymore. You know who that was coming through? It was coming from preachers. It was coming from pastors. It is time that we have a, a, not just a revival, but a reformation happen in our country to where things are reformed. See, reformation is what we're after. It's not revival. Revival needs to happen first, but it's not that just we come in and get revived and get filled with the Holy Ghost and have an impartation and get a word, but we take that and we go out and we reform society. We reform culture. You know what Katie is teaching right now to your kids? Right now she's teaching them. You know what it is? About the fact that they are all called to an area of culture that we've got these seven mountains that basically make up what society is. And you, little one, three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, would you tie my shoe? <laughs> I can't take it anymore. But you, you have a call of God on your life. Double tie it. Thank you, ma'am. but you, you have a call of God on your life. And you may not be called to the church mountain. You may not be called to pastor a church. You may not be called to be a missionary, but you are called. And God has a purpose for you. He has the destiny for you. And you're called to go and make a difference in this world. And you can hear the voice of God. You can know who he is. You can hear his voice. And you can find out, God, where am I called to? Which one of these nations am I called to? Which mountain am I called to? And your children are being raised up to know that they have a God. They have a personal connection with him. That they have an earthly priesthood. Oh, this is something that's been lost. The church doesn't understand that you are a king which means you have a realm of authority and you are a priest, which means you don't have to come to me or any other person to get to God. You go directly to him yourself and your children are learning about these things so that by the time they get out of high school, they can go out and they can take their mountain by the tail, climb to the top. And listen, it's not about kicking anybody else out. It's about converting people over to the kingdom of light once they get there. It's not about rising to the top to where it's like, oh, I'm making the most money. Oh, I'm getting the accolades. Because people get this confused. They're like, oh, I'm so blessed. I got employee of the month five times in a row. Great. What life did you change while you were there? What did you do for your, for your boss really while you were there? Did you really make a difference for the kingdom? This is about making a difference for the kingdom of God. And your kids and my kids are learning that right now. And the truth is, is that even if you're a little kid or an old kid, the truth is it's the same thing for you. 
You have, you have a mantle on you. You have an anointing on you to reach and touch the nations. And when I say the nations, I just mean for now the nation of Perryville. The people, you're planted here. You're right here, right now. Be faithful with where God's planted you. Hallelujah. Okay. I got to move on because I'm not getting quite where I needed to get, although that was really good. Thank you, Jesus. So why, are, why have we failed to have a culture of honoring fulfilled prophecies? Number one is just ungratefulness. And here's the second reason is that we don't recognize it. The people haven't recognized when the prophecy has been fulfilled. The Lord spoke this to me. That when we get an immediate vision, we get an immediate vision when we hear a word. So the question is, are we getting his vision or are we getting our vision of the word? So if I tell you, if I say apple, everybody in here immediately just thought of an apple. Some of you thought of an apple sitting on a table. Some of you thought of a red apple. Some of you thought of a green apple. Some of you thought of an apple on a tree. Some of you thought of an apple on the ground. Some of you thought of a rotten apple or whatever. But you thought about it some way, right? So you took one word and you begin to develop a vision of that word. So what I found out is that so many times God will speak a word, a word or a sentence to us. He'll give us his word. And then what we do is we develop a vision oftentimes that looks different than what God has intended. It's not that the word was wrong, but we took that and developed a vision that doesn't line up with what the end result is going to be. So I can, honest to God, I can tell you that most of the time when I get a word from the Lord and then I see the fulfillment, it looks different than what I thought it was going to look like. Because if I, you know, if I called somebody up here and prophesied over you and said, you're going you're gonna to go to the nations and you're going to shake the nations and you're going you're gonna to da, 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 whatever, you automatically picture, picture yourself being like Reinhard Bunke or Billy Graham or T.L. Osborne or whatever big televangelist or big evangelist or whatever. And, and it could be that, but probably not because there's tens and thousands of missionaries called to nations that God's called them and they've received words of prophecy and you're never going to hear their, their name. You're never going to hear who they are. So the point is, is that we get a vision of what we think it's supposed to look like and it doesn't really line up with, with God's vision of what he has intended for it. So we have to look when we get to the end result of something and go, you know what, God? This thing did come to pass. It just looked different than what I, than what I thought it was supposed to look like. So the responsibility we have with the word is to take it, hide it in our heart, and follow the word step by step by step by step by step. People don't understand this is how ministry works. Because we'll talk about the Lord says this, or the Lord says that, we're going to have this come to pass. God's revealing this. And then when we jump out and do it, and it doesn't work, they're like, oh, you, you really missed God there, pastor. Listen, don't stone me. I'm trying to walk things out. I'm trying to work things out. This is what happened with Moses. Oh, I've been looking for a way to, to put this in there. Thank you, Jesus. This is what happened with Moses and the children. And in Exodus chapter 17, they were going to Rephidim. And you do a little backstory on Rephidim. Rephidim was this place of lush, green. It was just excellent. It had everything that it, that it needed to have. And Moses is like, we're going to Rephidim. It's going to be awesome. Green pastures. And this is what was said of Rephidim. And so when they came up over the hill and they got to Rephidim, it was dry. There was no water. There was no grass for their cattle or anything like that. It was totally opposite of what Moses had said, but yet Moses had a vision of going to a better place. And so instead of the people going, you know what, Moses? We know you meant well for us, so no problem. We'll just continue following. It said that they talked about stoning Moses. And when I read that, I'm like, Jesus, I can relate to Moses because it's like, all right, we're going to go this place, and I can only do with what God's told me to do something with. 
And sometimes along the way, it doesn't look like what we thought. So don't stone me when we're on our way to something if it doesn't look quite right, all right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a really awesome, anointed, powerful man of God stuck in a human body with limitations. I don't see everything perfectly, all right? But even in our own life, sometimes we're going towards something and we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't see it looking like this. And then we get faint-hearted and we give up on the word that God gave for us. And we can't do that. But by the time we come to the end, sometimes the reason we don't honor the words that have been spoken is because we don't recognize that God fulfilled it. It just looked different than how we envision it. We envisioned it to come to pass. Super powerful. So... I w- what I want to do is I want to take a few moments and I want to talk about prophecies, some prophecies, not many. I want to talk about some that have come to pass that God has seen to it and watched over his word and we've seen manifestation. I'm going to give you a couple in my own personal life and then I'm going to give you several that have to do with our church and I'm going to give you some prophecies that the Lord says are going to come to pass, things that have already been spoken. And so here's some things in our own life This is something, this is so important that we, Liz and I have gone back to this word for years. We went back to to this word um, and needed it. And the Lord spoke to us and he said, I haven't called you there. Speaking of Perryville, he said, I haven't called you to Perryville to fail. And we had a lot of years that it felt like failure to us. We had a lot of years that um, it felt like we were going nowhere. We had so many times where people were with us and it was like, no, uh, change my mind, I'm not gonna be with you. <laughs> so many times when we thought people were just gonna be an awesome part and come alongside of us and they turned out to stab us in the back. And so, I mean, there were so many things that it made it look and feel like we were failing at what God called us to do. But we had a word from God. We knew it was from him. He did not call us to Perryville to fail. By and large, that looked like fighting financial things that we thought, are we ever going to get to a place to where we feel leveled out financially? When we moved here, we had, we, we owned a house that was a drain to us. And I won't get into all the gory details of it, but it was like, oh my God, are we going to make it? And at times it was like that. And we would go back to this word and the Lord would say, I haven't called you there to fail. And another word that went along with it is that Perryville is your place called there. If you look at the, the story of Elijah in the Bible, the Lord brought that back to us. And the Lord said, go there for in that place I've provided for you. And the Lord said, go to Perryville. And that is your place personally. That was a personal word for us, our place of provision. And we have watched God time and time and time and time again come through for us financially and in so many other ways. And so we have now gone back and we're like, thank you, God, for providing for us. Thank you for what you've done. Thank Thank you for your faithfulness in the past. And we, we have developed in our home, we've developed a culture of being thankful, but not just thankful, but grateful. And if you're not careful, we have a culture of thankfulness here because of, honestly, because of music and worship. If you listen to the songs that he sings and leads in, they're all about adoration towards him and thankfulness and God's goodness and his power. And that's right. But you know that you could sing those songs and not have a grateful heart for what God has really done. But there's something powerful when we move over to this place where we go, God, you really have been good to me. I love the, the, um, the good, the, um, the goodness of God. So, oh man, sometimes I'll just turn that on and I'll just begin to say, thank you, God, for providing for me. Thank you for all the times that you kept me when I didn't even know you were keeping me. Thank you for all the ways that you came through in my family and in my finances. And God, thank you for healing my body so many times when I needed healing and I prayed and supernaturally the power of God. I mean, just on and on and on. And when you do that, and you do it from a grateful heart. That's a really, really healthy place to be at. Amen. Um, and so that was... Um, that was a word that the Lord gave, gave to us. Um, and also, 
you know, he could, this is an interesting word, and I wasn't really excited about it at first, but he told me two, right at about two years ago that he had called me into a ministry of confrontation. Now, most prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. I didn't get any when I got that word from the Lord. But as I soaked on it a little bit more, I saw the wisdom of God in it and began to get comfort because I didn't, little, little did I know that for the next six months, I was going to have to, and really for the next two years, I was going to have to have so much confrontation with people. And whenever I uh, began to do it, it was difficult. But now, confronting people, is, this is going to sound crazy to you, is one of my most favorite things to do. I was, listen, I had a fear of confrontation. I was afraid to confront people. Many of you are afraid to confront people. But I realize that you don't move forward in relationships or ministry without confronting people. And so now when I see somebody that's got a stupid attitude, I just go to them and say, what's wrong with you? Why are you not walking in love? What's going on in your life? Let's move past this together. And most of the time they go, hey, thanks. I needed help. Thank you. Here's my problem. Let's walk through it. And it's awesome. I love the fruit. I don't look for the problems, but when they're there, I'm like, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Let's nip this thing in the bud and not give the devil any more room. I found a way. God gave me a tool. He gave me a ministry of confrontation that I, the devil doesn't have to win in relationships anymore. I can just go to people, wrap my arms around them. Everybody in here that knows me knows that I love you. You know I love you. you can, I've been here, and I've been faithful, and I've been plowing, and I've been pushing, but I've also loved you very, very much. The best that I know how to do as a pastor, I'm not perfect, but you know that I love you. And so if I come to you, and I found this, that when you go to people and you've loved them first, you can go and confront them on their stuff, and they'll usually turn, unless they've got pride issues, and some have had pride, and have said, no, I'm not going to turn. They've had rebellion in their heart, so they said, no, I'm not going to turn. But the ones that have been open and been receptive, man, it's amazing what God has done. So that's something that he gave me. Let me give you seven things that the Lord has spoken. And I'm going to do this very quickly. Seven things that the Lord had to count my fingers. Is that right? Five plus two, seven. I'm not a math major. Apparently not even an elementary math major. But these are things I'm going to say it was about two, between two and a half and three years ago. And I was actually disobedient after I gave this. I didn't even understand the, how God was going to use me to prophesy things. And so, but one night on a Saturday night, I had a whole message playing and I was up here and I was praying and the Lord gave me seven things to speak over our church. And the next message, the next day, probably none of you remember it in here, but the next message, uh, the next day, the Lord had me preach all of those things and minister on those seven different things. And I'm going to give them to you right now. And I want you to see something here. And this is the point that every one of these things we are, I have either come to pass or are currently manifesting in our midst right now. And you say, well, that's not because you prophesied. Oh, yes, it is because I prophesied. See, we have life and death are in the power of our tongue. And when we release the word of the Lord, it gives us something to latch onto to say, God, that's what you're going towards. That's what we're going to go towards. It makes us come in agreement or gives us the hope of coming in agreement with what God says. So here are things. There are seven things. Number one, the Lord said, this is what he said. This is a spiritual church. At that time, I didn't feel like we had done a whole lot spiritual, but you can look in the past, and that's, that's wide open, but that, was, that came from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it talks about how that, that uh, you, we will know, but the Lord has given us his spirit, that we can know the things that have been freely given to us by him. I didn't even fully know what I was prophesying between two and a half and three years ago is when I did this. I didn't even fully know, but the Lord said, you are a spiritual church, and you know, we don't just do things carnally but we look to the Spirit of God to hear and to see and to know what the Spirit is saying in every single thing we do. It is powerful. We're a spiritual church. Number two, the Lord says that, that this is a powerful church. 
You know, the power, the manifested power of God has increased and continues to increase here all the time. And I can promise you it is not because of me. All I am is a doorway. That's all I am is the gatekeeper of what the Lord wants to have happen here. I can shut it off if I want to, but I don't want to. I just want what God wants. You know that that has continued to increase. Why? Because he spoke a word, we released it, and now we're walking in the fulfillment of the fact that we have people that, that are healed. And here's the thing is that I, when I spoke that word, this is give you an example how I, how I could have missed it. I saw in my mind when I spoke the word, I saw people being physically healed. I saw a lot of uh, like physical miracles. That's how, what we usually think of with the power of God. But you know that it's manifested in a different way. And that you, you realize that dreams are powerful and God's given these dreams. And we have seen so many of you totally transformed by the dreams that God has given us. That's the power of God. We've had gifts rise up. We've had people operate in the anointing that God's called them in. I mean, just all kinds of things to reveal and prove that this is a powerful church. Number three, this is an orderly church church. This is so, this is so amazing. This is, if anything, this is maybe the most fulfilled that we've, we've come to. So two and a half, three years ago, there wasn't much order. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, out of Proverbs chapter 22, it says that the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. And the Lord stopped me right there. And he said, you are diligent. And I'm a very diligent person, but he said, you don't have any plans. I was like, well, all right, so it's the plans of the diligent that lead to plenty. And so I begin to camp on that. And then again, I prophesied this. The Lord gave me this, I prophesied it. And you know that we have, if you go in our, in our resource room, as you walk out, it's the last door on the left. Um, we have all kinds of resources in there, but we have a, a, uh, a flow chart in there. And it's very organized for how this church operates in the structure that's in this church. And that was something that's foreign to me because I'm like, let's show up, let's preach the word, let's love on God and pray for some people. And it's like, wait a second, there's a whole other, or- see, God, God is an orderly God. When you look at the fact that he created the world, he's creative. I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. He's very creative. He's got the creative side, but he's also very orderly. He had an order to every single thing that he did. So we developed this whole flow chart and I had a Mike Pickett who is, um, basically runs Andrew Walmack Ministries and Karis Bible College across the world. Um, have a close relationship with him. It's just awesome. I feel like, oh my gosh, I have, I have a, 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 like a king that I can go to and just draw from his wisdom. And he said, and I quote, he said, this is the best. When we showed him the, the, the flow chart for the organization, for the serve teams and all of the ministries that go on here, when we showed him, he said, and I quote, this is the best flow chart I've ever seen for a church. Thank you, Jesus. All right. The Lord said that this is a prosperous church. Let me tell you that we have, we have never not had what, what we needed. We're living in fulfillment of this is a prosperous church and we're only going to prosper more. This was prophesied. Number five, this is a giving church. We had, on, on the VBS, we had all of the kids give into our, it's like now we have a mission in Brazil that started with Marcelo and Sandra that were here on a Wednesday night about a few weeks ago or whatever. And it's like God just connected our hearts with them. And so we are, we are out to support them. And so we, we did that with the kids. And when it was time for them to give, I think on the second night, I, they literally rushed to the front to put their money in the jar to send to our friends in Brazil. 
It was more, it was, it was more than just, oh, I get to give. There was, something, there was something significant that had happened there in our kids, that there is a supernatural giving thing that's on them. It's also on you all as well. This church, listen, I prophesied this, and this church took up an offering with less people than we have right here now because the Lord said to plant a seed into Andrew Walmack Ministries and for their building fund that we were going to reap 100-fold return in this church for doing it. And I'm hanging on to that because that was a word from the Lord. It was confirmed by Wendy and it was confirmed by Andrew from the pulpit because of something he said. And we're like, oh my gosh, we have to do it. We took up a $15,365 offering as a seed to plant into his ministry. This is a giving church and we will continue to work in that fashion. Number six, this is a loving church. This is my most favorite one of all. For years and years and years and years and years, I've preached, if I've preached one message, it's been one message over and over and over and over again. And in fact, it's moved from a message to a commandment. We will walk in love. The only thing I'm really hard on people about is when they are not walking in love. If you're not going to walk in love, I'm going to jump on you like a chicken on a June bug. I will not tolerate people that don't walk in love. And you know what? I have found that I don't have to address very many people anymore. You know why? Because the culture here is a loving culture. You guys actually love each other. You like each other and you love each other. And the basis for any healthy move of God has to be a love for him, but also a love for one another. We're a loving church. And the last thing, and this is one that's going to come in even greater measure in the days to come, is that this is a joyful church people full of the joy. And I got a whole message about this I'm not going to get into right now, but this is a church that's full of the joy of the Lord. And we are manifesting it. People are happy. They're excited to be here. You know what I found out is that this church for years, it was me. And I've said this before. It was like me with the rope, like towing everybody like, come on, let's do it. Let's move forward. And you know what I found now is that I've got everybody else that they come in. They're a part here. They're a part of the grace groups and whatever. And you guys love to be here. And it's not, it's not because of me. It's because of the presence of God here. There's a joy with being here and being connected that is really super powerful. Amen. I'm going to give you these very, 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 very quickly. These are things that the Lord says that are coming up. And I feel like I needed to share some of these with you today. These are things that we've prophesied. And so look, you can see everything. Who can see that these seven things that I listed here, you can say we're living in the fulfillment of that. And it's only going to increase. So Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your faithfulness over these words. Now here's some words that God has for this church in the coming days. This is a word that he spoke. It was a powerful word. And it flipped me out when I was standing here Sunday morning and the Lord spoke, spoke this to me. He said that, that this church is going to rewrite church history. I don't know how, and I really haven't even tried to develop a vision because I think my vision might look different on how it would come to pass and what God has. But he says, we're going to rewrite church history. I've got some ideas, but I'm going to wait for him, but that is going to come to pass. He said that you're going to raise up spiritual sons and daughters. Paul said that there's many teachers, but there's not many fathers. This is part of actually rewriting church history. The church has been set up for so long with the guys standing up here and everybody coming in Sunday morning, going out. Wednesday night, coming in, going out, and there's nothing else that goes on there. Do you know that what I do here is about, I used to say like maybe like one, whatever, it's probably one twentieth of the ministry that goes on here. Maybe, maybe. Most of the ministry goes on because God's raising up fathers and mothers that have spiritual sons and daughters to, to impart what the spirit of God is saying, the word of God, and to help grow each other up, Amen. It's happening now. It's only going to happen more in the, in the future. And the Lord said that, that spiritual principalities 
and Perryville are going to fall. This is hard for some people to wrap their mind around. But see, we, we get the, whoever went, ooh, I agree. Uh, but we get that way with prophecy. But see, there's a difference between being in, and I, Chris Valentin said this, I love this. He said, from the promise or the prophecy to the palace, there's the process. And when we get in the middle of the process, sometimes is when we get faint-hearted and we're like, geez, this is so difficult. But we have to stay the course and go back and hang on. God said this is going to happen. And I'm telling you that there are spiritual principalities, which I'm not going to get into at the moment. See, principalities, yes, I am. Principalities, can, can you hang with me for five more minutes? You're getting tired, I know, because I've been at it for a while. I have so much in me that I don't have time to share, so I just got to get it all out as fast as I can, and then we can move on. Principalities are set by the enemy that rule over certain areas. And part of what you do is you go and pray against those things, but you also get activated from being in the presence of God to move in ways that are in opposition to how the Spirit has been working for so long. We are going to overtake principal, not, not we like, well, we're in charge here, but we like the Spirit of God is resting on Perryville because the principalities are no longer having the impact that they used to because greater is he who's in us than he that's in the world. Hallelujah. We will, we will build strong churches as part of our vision. We are doing that right now. We haven't planted any churches, but we will plant churches. Um, and we're building strong churches in the sense that we're, we're pouring out into other churches and ministries. I'll tell you more about that in the future. The Lord said we will do unprecedented things. We're doing that and we will continue to. The Lord said that this is a multicultural church. You look around. Uh, I don't know the difference between race and culture, really, whatever, but... There should be more color in here than what there is, and there's going to be. And it's not so. It's not. It's not like a. It's not like a token. Like here, yeah, we got some African Americans or some you know Hispanics. It's because the Lord wants there to be a melting pot in the spirit of all the things that He wants to bring in, and it's going to include other people. I, I love. I love being in in worship with um, with Hispanic people and with African people. When I was in Africa, actually, the, honestly, the music was horrible, but the people, it was. And there was one church I went to. All they had was a drum. Boom, boom, boom. But the people worship. It's like it's in their blood. They can't help it. They love to worship and dance. And I think, you know what? Some of these white folk in here need to change things up a little bit. And for the Lord to bring some of that, some of all that would just do amazing things for us. So anyways, it is a multicultural church. This is a house of prayer. This is developing, and it's only going to develop more. We are building a prayer room right now, and we are going to, every day, that prayer room is going to be open on some level. I don't know the hours. I don't know how it's going to work yet, but I'm telling you, this is a house of prayer. And the last thing, and this is something I felt so impressed to release, the last thing the Lord says is that this is a worshiping church. Now, you might say, I feel like we already, we already have great worship. We do, but the Lord says that it's going to go to another level. As a matter of fact, what's getting ready to come in here is we're going to have flags and banners and streamers. Do not bring them, or I will shut you down, because it has to be done properly, and it has to be done in order, and it has to be done in the right way. <laughs> so I heard, I heard someone go, whoo, finally, I'm going to bring it. No, don't bring it, all right? We have to figure some things out with room, and just we're going to set things in order. We're going to know the meaning behind it. But our worship and our praise is going to go to a whole nother level, because gone are the days to where the congregation is treated as an audience. And I'm not saying this man does that. He doesn't. But gone are the days in our thinking to where the congregation is going to be treated as an audience, but you are participants in worshiping and honoring and blessing the King of Kings. No more will we hear, well, I just didn't really like that song. It's not about whether you like a song or not. It's about him beholding him, looking unto him, worshiping him, honoring him, blessing him with everything we have in us.
Can I get an amen on that? Hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that we will take the spirit that's been unveiled here of having a culture of honoring the words that you've spoken, and we're going to honor your words, recognize them coming to pass. We're going to have an attitude of gratefulness for what you've done. We are so grateful for where you've brought us. And God, we look forward to where you're going to take us because we know it's going to be powerful. I thank you for every one of these saints, not just having that here, but even in their own homes where they begin to recognize your goodness, your faithfulness, your mighty works in their life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you. Bless you. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.